KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. From KPBS and PRX, this is Port of Entry, where we tell cross-border stories that connect us. I'm Alan Lilienthal. Maybe you're familiar with this guitar legend playing underneath me right now. You might recognize the fusion of Latin sounds with soaring electric guitar. This legendary Mexican guitar player got his start right here at the border in Tijuana. He came of age listening to the blues greats like B.B. King and T-Bone Walker, and then took that sound and went on to play for huge stadium-sized crowds in the 60s and 70s. He's one of the first guitar players to come out of Mexico to really revolutionize the sound of the electric guitar. But if you think that guitarist you just heard is this guitarist you're hearing now, you, my friend, are wrong. Because the famous electric guitar player I'm going to tell you about today is not Carlos Santana. It's actually the guy who helped Santana become the famous musician he is today. When I play some Gregorian chants, <laughs> yeah, Frank. This is the one and only Javier Batis. He kept calling me Frank, by the way, because of my long, curly black hair that he is convinced makes me look like Frank Zappa. Javier's hair, though, is way more epic and iconic and longer than mine for now. He rocks a glorious, frizzy afro. His hair tops off his skinny jeans, his pointy leather rocker boots, his cool shirts, sometimes of himself, and his big silver necklaces with big pendants around his neck. Basically, he looks like a famous rock star. And in Mexico, he really is. A few weeks back, my producer Kinsey Moreland and I got to hear Javier play a few songs in his practice studio outside his house, which is just six blocks south of the U.S.-Mexico border in downtown Tijuana. After he played us a few songs, he invited us into his living room. Then sat us down and pulled out a manila folder. So I gotta show you, this is very important to me. The folder was filled with old newspaper clippings, photos, show flyers, and other memorabilia from his nearly seven decades as a rock star. The first thing Javier pulled out was a comic book written by Carlos Santana. Then he turned to the page where he himself makes an appearance. Okay. So this is, um, if you can read here, it says, when I saw Javier Batis playing in La Plaza. Him. And then he says, when I saw Javier Batis playing in La Plaza, all I wanted to do after I saw him was play like him. And in this book, in this book he says, I studied the sound of Javier Batis' guitar until I got it. And then I figured out 
my own, my own sound, which is my sound. <laughs> anyway, he always says in this book and in every book that he that he he, he writes, he writes Javier Batis was the guy who started me, you know. And what does that leave me? <laughs> Here in Tijuana, very poor. What the hell, right? How did this musical legend, the man who inspired Carlos Santana, end up, as he says, poor in Tijuana? Today's story continues our new season of Port of Entry. It's a season about artists and musicians who've turned pain into superpowers. We'll get into Javier's border story right after a short break. Nos vemos muy pronto. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. Estamos de vuelta. So there's a popular narrative about Javier that attempts to explain his relative obscurity when compared to Carlos Santana. It essentially says that because Javier stayed in Mexico to make his music, instead of crossing the border to chase fame alongside his friend Carlos, he missed his big break. And as the story goes, now poor Javier is stuck in this black hole of obscurity. But that narrative, that Carlos Santana went north and found great success and fame, and Javier Batis went south and sunk into oblivion, it doesn't paint the full picture. The real story isn't so simple. I'm doing about five or six interviews every day. Oh, wow. oh my God. Well, I'm Javier Batis, what is expected? <laughs> Right now, at this moment, uh, a new record is coming out and it's on, on the radio. So, yeah, so in about a half an hour or an hour, I'm going to be again. I already did two. Oh, wow. Yeah, got up at six o'clock in the morning. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you for squeezing us in. Went to bed at five. <laughs> still living a, still a rock star. I like it. Oh, yeah. Really? Really, I sort of got it. Wow. Que dia? Is this common? It, yeah, sure, because that's why, that's why I'm Javier Batis. You know, if you don't, <laughs> you, you go the 100 miles and you still got to go the 20 miles extra, you know? Yeah, yeah. Did you get me? So, yeah, Javier Batis is pretty famous. In Mexico, he really, really is. I mean, he might not be a household name, but especially in certain circles, he is indeed a rock legend. If you ask musicians in the know, he's truly considered one of the fathers of Mexican rock and roll. 
And his nickname in Mexico is El Brujo del Rock, meaning warlock or wizard because of the incredible sorcery he pulls off when he has a guitar in his hand. Javier's got a wax sculpture of himself in Tijuana's famous wax museum. His face will soon be on a new Hollywood-like sign going up in the hills of Tijuana, and the city of Tijuana even named a street after him. Where I live, I born in the house where I, where I live, where we, where we live. Really? Yeah. And uh, I, I was born in that house, and that street goes up a hill. And, it's, and that street is called La Rampa de Javier Batis, which means, you know... Ah, the Rampa. Si, si <laughs> That's awesome. You know what? The, the, the government, from, from the, they're going to turn my house when I die. It's going to take a long time. Um, <laughs> they're going to turn my house into a museum for, for Javier Batis and some of his friends, the, the musician friends that he made famous. But that said, Javier's fame, even in Mexico, has flickered on and off over the years. One minute, Javier says he feels like the most famous musician in Mexico. The next, he seems genuinely worried about being forgotten one day. That's partly why he's still working so hard. So I don't stop working. If I stop working, I start to shrink. I'm 77 years old. I mean, come on. This past summer, when Kinsey and I went to Javier's house, we both got a little lost, but eventually we found it. I saw the huge sign, that's how we found it, finally. Javier's house is right there on his eponymous road, Rampa de Javier Batis. Impossible to miss because of the huge, colorful mural of him painted on the outside of his practice studio. And I, I told the guys, I told the guys that gave me the street, you know, the Presidente Municipal and all that. And I told them, hey, man, you really messed that up. And he said, why come here? You didn't tell me where to put the toll booth. <laughs> <laughs> or tax, the Javier Batista tax. The Javier yeah. Batista tax for music education. Huh? Nearly every Wednesday night for decades now, Javier has run a music school at his place. This is really cool. Oh, I can tell why he's so happy. Yeah? It's like constant positive reinforcement of how, how, how cool the genius is. He's just he's a street. The kids come to learn music from him. And as in this room, you think? I could probably. Hola. Hola. Aquí es la clase? Sí. Cool. ¿Ustedes toman la clase de guitarra? Yo no más. Ellos son sus nietos. Oh, wow. This is a school. From seven to nine is school. I teach everybody how to play. Everybody and anybody. In any language, well, other than Spanish and English, no languages. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. And so, the beat goes on. <laughs> Let anybody show up or they plan in advance? It starts off as a jam and then the class is 
comes in. So yeah, it's pretty good. Perfect. A couple of hours, uh, you know, no no later than nine nine thirty, and uh, everybody gets to play. We have a lot of fun. Sometimes people bring tequila, which is accepted. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We would have known. We would have known. Now you know. Now you know. Oh yeah. Me conectaste el piano, mijo. Ah, boy. Oh. How many students over the years have been in and out of the? Over a thousand, some. Really? Oh, sure. Sixty-five years. Are you kidding me? Why, why is music important because, to pass on? Because, believe it or not, I'm not being crazy, but in, even in the States, they don't play like us, you know? So I am very interested in my legacy being that I stood, I stand here in Mexico being a good Mexican, teaching all these guys how to play so that my legacy will keep on and on and on. The James Browns, the Ray Charles, the Bobby Blairs, the Little Richards, you know, those guys are no longer with us. And no, nobody that can play that kind of music. But the music, the music has to have a, a special place and you shouldn't mess around with it. You know, don't mess around with music. You know, it's gonna bite you in the ass. So, <laughs> you know, if, if you do. So, music has to be what it is. And they say, Boogie is dead. Well, probably Cha 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 is dead. Well, maybe. And Mambo is gone. Ah, sure. Rock and roll is gone. Your mama is gone. You know? <laughs> no, rock and roll hasn't gone nowhere, man. It's here, that life, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, I'm, I'm taking good care of that. And a lot of groups in Mexico, ah, oh, si, el Javier Batis, you know? So uh, here in Mexico, we're keeping the music. There are a lot of people out of my group and my teachers have become worldwide millionaires. Well, good for them. You know, they don't owe me anything. They don't, because I don't charge for teaching. You don't charge? I don't charge. Who wanna pay me? Oh, thank you. you know? yeah. Who can't pay me? It's the same. And uh, right now I have a little kid, 13 years old, and he plays like me now. Man, he's great. And. Uh, and so I'm very happy what I do, very happy who I am, very happy with my wife, with my kids. And uh, that's about it, you know. So over the years, Javier has helped 
hundreds of musicians in Mexico learn how to play electric guitar, including, back in the 50s and 60s, Carlos Santana. But Javier says no one really taught him how to play. He says his mom showed him how to play his first four chords, but beyond that, he says his ability to play music is a gift from above. I learned from God. God gave me a talent, a special talent. He showed me how to play the guitar and sing, and then he showed me how to teach the other people, share my knowledge. So I am very grateful, very blessed, you know. Do you remember the first time you picked up a guitar? Do you have a memory of that? Well, I don't remember yesterday, so don't ask me anything. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I remember when, when uh, I started asking, as a little, little itsy-bitsy kid, asking for some from instruments because I wanted to sing because I came here to sing and so and so I got saxophones and flutes and drums and pianos and guitars and basses and you know by 10 I was playing everything oh wow oh yeah but the guitar had a special guitar, I tell you what by 10 I was playing and singing everything Jorge Negrete and Pedro Fuentes music you know Sure, me de comer de esa tuna. Me de comer esa tuna. Me de comer esa tuna. Me de comer esa tuna. It was around this time that Javier had a real light bulb moment when it came to his future musical career. He was about 10 years old when he remembers his mom calling from her bedroom. It was late at night and she wanted Javier to turn off the radio that someone had left on. So I got out of my bed and went to the living room to turn off the radio. And then I got a little baby. I love my baby. What is this? The blues, T-Bone Walker. Then I turned it really, really down, and I, I put my head to the speaker, and my mama, do you turn it up? Yeah, ma, you know. I'm gonna change my way of living, baby. This was 1958, and black music wasn't playing on the radio in the States, but at 10 o'clock at night, the Mexican radio used to go off, and on the Mexican radio, they used to broadcast all this beautiful, beautiful music. And so every night, every night, every night, every night, I used to turn on the radio. Chibon Walker was the first guitarist and blues singer that I heard. Yes, I love you. And then Elmore James. And then Sonny Boy Williams. You got to help me, baby. I can't do it all by myself. B.B. King. You a real wild man, woman. Johnny Hooker. One bourbon, one scotch, and one bill. Jimmy Reed. And Muddy Waters. You know you change your mind, you know I won't go home. 
Javier was hooked. He wanted to listen to the blues all day, every day, and not just wait around for the late night radio show. So he started crossing the border to buy records at a vinyl shop in downtown San Diego. I started getting my Elmore James, you know, Robert Johnson, all the, the, the beautiful blues musicians. And uh, so I started singing that music here on the radio. And by the eight, that time, it was really easy because there were only three chords to the songs. The blues, you know, three chords. It's como el corrido, two chords to the corrido, no? So to the, to, the, to the blues, three chords. Then I started learning, I speak English, I started learning the words up to the, to the music, but it's really simple. Too sad to be alone. It's so inconvenient to be alone, you know? So sad to be lonesome. Too much inconvenient to be alone. By the age of 12, Javier started a band called the TJs. And so I, I, I was very famous with the TJs, and I started, you know, working on the, nice, the very nice places with the weddings and the, and the quinceañeras and all that stuff. And I played like I play right now, man, because it was a God gift, you know, a gift from God. The like way I play, it's not easy to find somebody the way I play. And it just immediately came through you, like it was. Immediately, man, you know, and so. I got, you know, really famous, and then we used to go to the, to the Battle of the Bands in San Diego against the Rhythm Airs and the, and the guys from over there who were really, really good, and we used to win all the battles. We were really good. One day, Javier and the TJs were playing a gig at a park in downtown Tijuana. And that's when Javier met a kid named Carlos Santana. I used to play with the TJs at 12 o'clock at Sunday, Sunday afternoons, 12 o'clock, you know, at the daytime. And I, we used to pack the place free, listening to the little kids playing the guitar like mothers would do it. And now, uh, <laughs> And then Carlos' mother saw me play and went to pick up her kid. She brought him. He said, the first time I heard Javier Batis how to play, I got the way he played and studied and made a sound from his music to my music. I mean, he's saying that he got my music to play his music. But when you hear him, you hear me, but when you hear me, you hear him, and I mean, come on. We were friends every day for five years, from 58 to 63. Javier says he and Carlos were like brothers for those five years, and most of the time, they were playing music together, often for audiences filled with people from the military in San Diego. 
Tijuana was the place to go for good live blues music back then. We pick up the place. I mean, we people came. So the Marines, the Navy, the Army, the Navy SEALs, everybody is still there in San Diego, right? And so they didn't have any place to go to, to, to hear or, or see or play. So they, everybody came from over there to hear us play and to dance with the women. You know, they danced a lot. Yeah, good dancers, good dancers. Uh, and uh, so in about a month, all the Revolution Street was only rock and roll. Two, three, four, five groups every day. And you know what? Tijuana, those times, it was a beautiful time. Tijuana didn't close. It was 24 hours. It was beautiful. You could leave your bicycles in the outside, your car open. It was, it was something else. It was a little bit like heaven if it was you know, to be really rock and roll. And, uh, rock and roll heaven. Rock and roll heaven, yes. And so we, we, we became very famous. People in the music industry started noticing this little band from Tijuana that could pull big crowds. Javier says he got scouted by a bigwig music producer from Mexico City. And so some guys from Mexico came and they discovered me. You know? By then I was 15 and I came to Mexico at 17, and when I got there, I became instant, instant, instantly the famous, most famous star in, in, in Mexico. Around the same time, Carlos Santana's family moved north of the border to San Francisco. And both Javier and Carlos hit the ground running. Carlos started on his path to fame. And Javier became a big star in Mexico City. Javier And so, when I became really famous, well, I did all the 32 movies. I have done over 50 records, 50 albums. Just like a boomerang. Javier says he and Carlos stayed in touch during his time in Mexico City. And he says Carlos and other musician friends of his were always trying to convince him to join them north of the border, in the U.S. But Javier dug in his heels. All these beautiful people in the, in the States that were calling me, Javier, come over here and play the law. I'm staying in Mexico because I'm, I'm working with, the, with my idols. In Mexico, my life was... Get up, interviews, programs, uh, radio, TV, and then go to bed at 4 o'clock because there was a party here, a party there, a party there. I had to go to those. I'm not complaining, but I was getting very tired of it, you know? 
And so, because being, being famous is not like being famous. Being famous is a hassle, man. It's a, oh yeah. Being famous became an even bigger hassle when the Mexican government, which from the 60s through the 80s was sort of this conservative extension of the Catholic Church, became increasingly nervous about the rock and roll culture spreading across the country. Javier says government officials were concerned about his growing influence. People have always been scared of me. I mean, just look at me, man. But no, the government was really scared of me. The rock and roll scene was forced underground. And it was a rough few decades. Javier says he and other rock musicians in Mexico who were seen as a threat to society lost everything. He says the government forced him to shut down his coffee shop, his nightclub, and other businesses in Mexico City that he'd built up. So in 1994, he got fed up. And when his mom passed away, he decided to move back to Tijuana. We came to say goodbye to my mama, and, and uh, it was really sad, you know, because my mama was my, my friend, and she was my, my confidant, you know, and, and she, she brought me up, no? Javier stayed in Tijuana after that. So how did he keep his career alive, even though he was now living far away from the cultural enclave of Mexico City, way off the beaten musical path? We'll get to it right after a quick break. Quédate con nosotros. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. Y estamos de vuelta. So Javier Batis was able to keep his musical career going, even though he was now based in Tijuana, which back in the 90s, didn't have the music scene and opportunities it does today. He did this in part by taking his show on the road. He says one of the most memorable tours was through Italy. We traveled from my house to Italy. You know, the, the whole boot, the Volta Completa. Uh, we started in Milan and then from uh, Sesenia and then Rome and then uh, a little other city and then uh, Naples, Napoli. Javier says he doesn't regret leaving Mexico City behind. He doesn't miss it. But he does miss one thing, though. The applause. If something I missed about not being in Mexico is the applause. Because here in Tijuana, I get good applause from 100 people, 200 people, you know. Every time I call all my friends in Tijuana, both of them are there, <laughs> you know. And, uh, but, yeah. but in Mexico, in Mexico I get 10,000 people, you know, 20,000 people. And when you hear that applause, you go, ah. Everybody, everybody. 
And uh, so I, then I miss, of course, the applause. Because if, if I live, I don't live about real big money, which I do get money, but not real big. I live about because of the applause. The applause. Es lo más grande, sí, sí, es lo más grande que te puede dar fuerza para seguir adelante. Sí, that's it. And concerts and concerts and concerts. The truth is, had Javier stayed in Mexico City instead of moving back to Tijuana or gone to San Francisco alongside Carlos, maybe he would be more well-known on both sides of the border. But his family, his wife Claudia, his five kids, and especially his faith in God, made him feel rich and full and no longer interested in chasing fame the way he did when he was younger. And because of that, he may not be rich when it comes to money, but he says he feels rich in the ways that matter most to him. I haven't stopped working and I don't know anything else to do. I sing, I get paid, I go home. That's what I do. Out of my band have come out a worldwide known musicians like Fito de la Parra, Tony de la Barrera, you know, Olaf, from I Can Share Turner and the Monkeys, uh, Marcos Mendoza, you know, Carlos Santana, and, you know, all these guys, really, really famous guys, you know, worldwide. I am not, I, I am not seeking or, or searching for that. I am very grateful and glad and really humbled by the the level that I'm living in, like a, like a really poor musician. I've been so rich, rich, I mean, really, you know. But right now, no, I play, I get my money, and that's what we have, you know. Pero tengo a mi hija, mis nietos, a mi esposa. Oh, God. It, it gets, gets my heart because... There's nothing better than that. There's no money that can pay that, you know? I'm gonna buy you a wife, a daughter, no, no, no. No money, nothing can buy that, I have it. And it's beautiful and that's it. while to learn that because like I'm a musician too and I think like the older I get the more I realize that that these things that we were told that we want from music like f big fame and music and all that stuff is like no there's like things that really feel like family like you said did it, yeah, did it take you I tasted all the fames all the monies you know millions and when you start living with the people that have money you you understand that if you have feelings you understand that those people don't have feelings, don't have heart, don't have thoughts, don't have humanity, they're not humble, they're arrogant and, and despotic. Why? Money can't buy you what you are. can buy you stuff, you know, guitars, 
good guitars. <laughs> and, um, but don't buy you inner peace, you know? When Javier thinks about the immense fame and fortune his friend Carlos Santana has found, he says he's not jealous, just proud. We still are brothers, but he lives in Dubai and I live here in Tecate. No, he lives in Las Vegas. In a, he lives in an eight and a half million dollars house he constructed for himself. So I think he has money. Yeah. <laughs> Every now and then, Javier says Carlos will call him up to talk about how he feels a little guilty about how things have turned out for Javier. Me habló Javier, ¿qué pasó, ¿Qué pasó? Tú deberías de estar aquí, me dijo. You should be here, not me, me dijo. Carlos. Four or five o'clock in the morning. He called me and, I mean, those kind of things. You know, I, I get him, I embrace him. And I don't talk about him too much, you know. You're an important guy. You see? That's what I mean. Yeah, I'm an important guy. Yes. <laughs> He's gotta, gotta be proud of who you are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But I'm famous, I'm famous. Is that what, you wanna be famous? I'm famous. <laughs> no? Yeah, you have your own street. I'm famous, I got my own street. Yeah, yeah, not many people can say that. <laughs> there is something that has started really hurting Javier's feelings though, especially given how much he loves his city of Tijuana. The first time we went with Javier, he was literally wearing a shirt that said, I love Tijuana. But sometimes he feels like the city is forgetting to love him back. Like, for example, a few months back, the city held an anniversary concert and Javier wasn't on the lineup. It's something is pitiful to me, painful, that even the guys from Tijuana don't know what I do, man. I hate it because I'm here and I can play anywhere they want me to play, and they don't take me. No, what I mean is, if, if I'm here, why don't they call us, you know, with my group and everything, my singers, my dancers, my horn players, I mean, God, you know? Back at Javier's house, which, by the way, feels like a museum of himself with photos and band posters and other musical memorabilia plastering all the walls, the music school transformed into a practice session for Javier and his current band. And Kinsey and I got a taste of what it's like, not only to hear this living legend play guitar and sing, but also to hear his stories and feel the joy he radiates when he's making music. Okay, we're gonna play some instrumentals right now. I want you to listen to some of my, um, my compositions, because I compose very well. 
Qué tristeza de vato. This one, I, 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 I wrote this one to, for a girl. They used to take care of, of Carlos and me in a convoy club where we used to work. And her name was Flor. That's why I wrote a song about her because she was so good to us, you know. I got some pictures inside. I'm gonna I see if we can find them to show you. Okay? That'll be ten dollars. And <laughs> right before we left Javier, he pulled out an eight by ten black and white photo of him sitting at a table with several famous musicians, including Carlos Santana. All these guys are gone now. They're dead. They're dying. And it's only me and Carlos. So for the music, I've done everything and anything, you know, because a lot of idiot people, especially here in my country, they try to take down whatever I have built up. But it's it's not easy and they're not gonna get nowhere because I got a street. You know, it's, it's not funny and I didn't do that. The people that know did it, you know. So I'm not, I'm not playing in al aire, you know, throwing punches in the air. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and with all my love. What else? Huh? Port of Entry is written and produced by Kinsey Moreland. Emily Jankowski is the co-producer and director of sound design. Elisa Barba is our editor. Lisa Morissette is operations manager, and John Decker is the interim associate general manager of content. I'm your host, Alan Ilietal. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Thank you for listening. And hey, if you like this episode and you want to help keep this show going, become a KPBS member today. Go to kpbs.org and click on the blue Give Now button. Thank you.
KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I.